0: Welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie. And I'm your other host, Harless. This is the podcast where we recap the fiction story of Magic the Gathering and add our own bits of flavor text as we go.
1: We are in Season 4, which follows the story of March of the Machine. We have seen the end of Elish Norn in the main story, but there are tons of other stories that happened while Elspeth, Chandra, Teferi, Karn, and the others were dealing with Norn. Today, we're sidetracking just a bit. We're headed into the plane of Ravnica to dive into one of the side stories and find out what happened on this plane during the invasion. Join us
0: as we head into the multiverse.
1: So the title of today's episode is One and the Same, and it's written by Alison Lurs. There are a ton of differences about this episode from the main story, which is why I mentioned that we're kind of sidetracking here. We've never talked about Ravnica before on this podcast, so there's that, and we'll give you some context if this plane is completely new to you. But also, this episode is written in the first-person perspective. We are behind Vraska's eyes. Now, we rarely get a first-person perspective in Magic Story— It's certainly the first time we've come across it since the podcast launched. Almost all episodes are written in the third person, and we did have one episode last season written from the second person as well.
0: If you remember, Vraska is our Gorgon Queen planeswalker. She is the leader of the Golgari Swarm on Ravnica. She had been ambushed and Phyrexianized last season, and then she had lured Jace Bellerin into an arena in the Dross Pits where she had Phyrexianized him. Jace Bellerin is Vraska's love, by the way. They totally have a thing, a back-and-forth love story since War of the Spark. Or, well, they did. It's complicated because, you know, she Phyrexianized him. Oops. Oops. So as of this episode that we're talking about today, she is an evangel, one of Elish Norn's Phyrexianized planeswalkers, totally under the influence of Phyrexia. Except it's not entirely
1: we're going to find out through Vraska's eyes what it feels like to be Phyrexianized. It's not clear to us as readers whether Vraska's situation with Phyrexianization is different from others, but if the other planeswalkers, such as Tomio, had a similar experience in subconsciously fighting it as Vraska does, I think us seeing flashes of the real person beneath Phyrexian influence is not a coincidence. Again, this is the first time we're getting direct insight into a Phyrexianized planeswalker, And Vraska has this ability to almost compartmentalize the experience. It's really fascinating. Phyrexianization to her feels a bit like a dream state. And she fights with this dream state constantly. Flashes of herself trying to understand her individuality, though often it gets overwhelmed by Phyrexian also in her head. So keep in mind as we go forward with this episode, Vraska's internal conflict is massive and she will deliberate between these two sides of herself all throughout the story. What's really most interesting about this episode is that when you read it on the page, there are clearly two different formats. One is normal black text, which is Vraska's true self, her non-Vyrexianized thoughts. And the other is in bold red italics. And these pieces are clearly her Vyrexianized half. This format can change even in the middle of her sentences, these two sides visibly fighting with each other in the writing itself. Now, seeing as we can't see that in the podcast, we're going to do our best to explain which piece of Vraska is saying what, the true Vraska or the Phyrexianized version of her.
0: At the beginning of this episode, we see Vraska's fall into Phyresis. She accounts for us from her perspective about how Phyresis hurt. How she felt who she was curl away and hide against the metallicized transformation she had become. The way her real self seemed to be put to sleep while the Phyrexianized conscience took over. She briefly recalls, through this confusing, conflicting sleepwalking state, her interaction with Jace in the Dross Pits, luring him into her, Phyrexianizing him. Deep down, she is horrified she has done that to the man she loved. And it's too overwhelming for her fragile, real self to face, so she buries it beneath the Phyrexianized front. This is from the story, from true Vraska's perspective. I dive deeper to forget the sensation, the fear that my body had done what my heart would never want.
1: Vraska rides a branch of the invasion tree into Ravnica, soaring in from the sky. I imagine her using it like a floating ship to enter her home plane, just sitting side saddle on it. Now, Ravnica is made up of guilds, or factions. All the major two-color pairs of magic, there are ten in total, are represented by guilds, and each guild has a centralized hub and iconic leaders. It's like the Strixhaven Colleges we'd seen earlier this season. Now, Ravnica has been a quintessential city plane for magic for quite a while, Like Dominaria, we have returned to this plane many times in the past, most recently being a very large-scale, devastating event called War of the Spark, where our planeswalkers, including Vraska herself, all had to contest in one form or other with the necromantic dragon god Nicol Bolas.
0: War of the Spark nearly saw the end of Ravnica. The Gatewatch triumphed in that battle. Now, Phyrexia has come to Ravnica, led by Vraska herself. Vraska, above all, wants
1: justice. She has the power of Phyrexia at her command, and the past hurts Ravnica has done to her guild, well, she wants to see them accounted for. Vraska inherently is not a cruel person. She may be a very powerful Gorgon, but Jace has helped her be better, exercise mercy and compassion, and relish in a simple life. Now, that was before Phyrexia got to her, And now, it's like all that past rage and hurt that she's been tamping down has bubbled to the surface of her Phyrexianized conscience. When she first arrives in Ravnica, Vraska commands Realmbreaker's arm to immediately delve straight through the building of the Azorius Senate. The Azorius are the blue-white aligned mages of Ravnica. They're like the legislation of Ravnica, really concerned with legality, laws, and keeping everyone else abiding by the rules. And Vraska...
0: She has some bad blood with Azorius. So she orders the arm of Realmbreaker to make landfall and walks into the ruins of the Senate building. She recalls a memory here, a time when she, Vraska, the true Vraska, was here. I call out that all the destruction of the Azorius Senate that happened just before this was in red, italic, Verexian version of Vraska. But the moment she begins to remember the prison she was held in, It switches to the regular font, the real Vraska. She's 17 years old and was held prisoner by the Azorius Senate, forced to watch the rest of her Gorgon race be blinded by Azorius' hands. I mean, they literally gouged out their eyes and Vraska had to listen to their screams. It was brutal. The reason Azorius did this was because the Gorgons could turn people to stone just by looking at them, and the Golgari were not above using that to their advantage. Obviously, as lawmakers, Azorius could not allow that. They saw it as unlawful. But the way Azorius executed on blinding Vraska's fellow Gorgons was criminal in and of itself. It was cruel. So now Phyrexianized Vraska was delivering justice to the Azorius. And we switch back from the real Vraska to her vengeance-fueled Phyrexianized form.
1: We, Phyrexia, Golgari, are one and the same. Frasca's Phyrexianized self is confused. She describes the fight within herself as having difficulty concentrating and going back and forth on her own motives, her own mind, wondering why she walked into the destroyed Azorius Senate in the first place. But when she sees people fleeing, many of them Azorius and Boros, Boros is another Ravnica guild, they work alongside Azorius as kind of law enforcers. She turns to her Phyrexian lieutenant and commands, blind them. And of course, the Phyrexians execute on her order, Immediately.
0: And Phyrexianized Vraska thinks to herself here, what is that saying again? An eye for an eye, and an eye, and an eye, and an eye. Which I found so interesting. Even her phyrexianized version has this morbid sense of humor. We're learning Vraska through this episode. It's difficult because she's fighting within herself, but we're seeing her personality trying to come through here. Fraska,
1: the Phyrexianized portion of herself rejoices as she rejoins the Golgari swarm, her fellow Gorgons joining the Phyrexianized fold. She exclaims happily to herself that she is no longer alone and the Gorgons will never be alone again. And this is from the story. The hours of our invasion turn to a full day, then two, then more. We move ever forward, undeterred. We do not need the quaintness of sleep. We do not need supply. We need bodies. This still feels like sleepwalking. A dream, a memory comes to our mind. Through the crashes and collapse, we sing without shame. The tune doubles as we sing, rattling in the metal of our throat. And I should note that when the story says we here, this is Vraska referring to herself in the context of being part of a Phyrexian collective. She's saying we as in she is many while she is Phyrexianized.
0: And from here, the song changes to Vraska's true self, the regular Black text. She sings it for herself, and when she's done, she is in her memory, when she sang this song to Jace while they were together in Ixalan. They're alone on this little rowboat surrounded by fireflies, it's very romantic, and she sings this song just for him to hear. In this memory, Jace had lightly teased her after she had finished singing it, being sarcastic when he says, cheery song. And Vraska switches back to her Phyrexianized self, as she says aloud in the present, the Golgari have little to be cheery about. And she has no explanation to all of her lieutenants that are now all looking at her funny as to why she spoke that aloud when she should be destroying Ravnica. The Selesnian Guild, another one of Ravnica's factions, distracts her, tearing through in an attack against her and the Phyrexians. There is a large section of Vraska here relishing in her command as a Phyrexianized captain. She has thoughts that we get insight into here, such as, Elish Norn sees we're more valuable as an evangel, as a leader, and it tugs at my heart to know she sees my most treasured quality. So few see me as anything more than being bred to kill, but they saw what I could truly do. Which really leads me to believe that Vraska has been exceedingly underappreciated by everyone. Perhaps only Jace had ever seen her, like really, truly seen and respected her on who she wanted to be, the value she wanted to add, which just breaks my heart.
1: Absolutely. It's such a crappy feeling to feel like you're doing your best and no one sees it. No one appreciates so it. I've, yeah. No. And I, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's really understandable that in this phyrexianized form, it, which seems to like take your darkest deepest thoughts and turn them in against turn them into weapons pretty much it seems like they they hit at like a hurt spot in her and she's lashing out from it and that's just so sad because she's worked so hard to tamp that down and to move past it so vraska leading her phyrexian legions through the city destroying everything in her path suddenly comes across her old apartment and we switch back to true vraska here not the I self As she looks around the place and thinks, gods, it's small. I adore it. And while her Phyrexianized self immediately adds, it is unremarkable and full of waste. But true Vraska adores all her little trinkets on the shelves, the things that she had collected over the years, all hugely sentimental to her, especially the items that remind her of Jace. The Phyrexian side of her is bitter, appalled at the disorder of the place. It's so interesting reading the story, seeing the two halves of her totally at war with each other and her thoughts, one after another after another. Anyway, her true self is recounting all these beautiful memories she has about these items, why she's kept them. And one of those items is the thematic compass. And that's T-H-A-U-M-A-T-I-C, not thematic. She recalls when she last had this after the War of the Spark, when she had forcibly pried open the trap door to her memories of Jace. Long story short, she had lost her memories before. Jace had taken them to protect her from Bolas. And here and now, Vraska takes the compass and pockets it. For no reason other than it had represented her reunion with Jace, remembering him again after the last cataclysm with Nicol Bolas. It represented the first time she fell in love with Jace.
0: A rumbling draws of Vraska, or at least the Phyrexianized part of Vraska, back out of the apartment and onto the Ravnica streets. Realm is destroying everything in its path, the arms of the invasion tree decimating buildings. So it's complete chaos as the people of Ravnica struggle to fight back. Remember that the invasion at this point has been going on for a while. She identifies a few familiar faces amongst those resisting. It's Ral Zarek and Tomic Frona, swooping into the streets on the back of Tomek's gargoyle. Rawl is an Izzet Planeswalker. Izzet is the blue-red mana guild, definitely the master engineers and spellcrafters, who has powers of lightning. It's the first time we're seeing Ral on the podcast, so I think it's worth noting that he is exceptionally smart. He has silver and black streaked hair. He can usually be seen in blue and red robes highlighted by gold. He is a close ally to many of our Planeswalkers like Jace and Kaya. And he even fought alongside Vraska in the War of the Spark. Ral and Vraska were friends once, but her Phyrexianized self only sees him now as an enemy. Tomek Vrona, meanwhile, is the Guildmaster Lawmage from Orzov, another Ravnica guild associated with white black mana. Fun fact here Orzov is Kaya's guild, too. He is Ral's husband, and Vraska watches them grip hands before Ral jumps off the gargoyle onto the streets and Tomek flies away. A sharp pang of jealousy sweeps through Vraska as she sees them together, and she grips the compass in her pocket, though her Phyrexianized self can't understand why she feels that way, but we readers know it's because she's missing Jace.
1: The war going on around them briefly distracts Vraska from Rawl, who disappears into the chaotic streets. Vraska keeps ordering all her Phyrexian underlings to keep blinding everyone. The scene is an utter mess of oil and blood and the jelly of eyes. I'm sorry, the jelly of eyes. I read that yeah. and I just Ooh. was like, bleh, bleh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's so Same. gross. It's such a visceral line though. Like it really, it just, ugh, it gives you such a descriptor. I love it, but I hate it. Okay. I look to the instigators, to the Golgari turned Phyrexians, and I am filled with pride. At last, my people are in charge. And Ril Vraska, just for a quick moment, kind of comes back into herself and witnesses the invasion tree driving down in the Ravnica metropolis like the legs of a spider. I don't like this dream anymore. I see Golgari warriors, their bodies blended with metal. I see them carry the same symbol of the flag that follows me. This isn't a good dream. And her Phyraxian self shakes this off as a headache and turns her full focus into a disruption in the chaos. It's Ral fighting back, sending a blast of lightning into Realmbreaker, drawing Braska's attention.
0: And this is from the story. I leap for a branch and ride it to the roof, ascending to join our collective and take Rawlsarek head on. All of us are here. My siblings from abroad mass and swarm with the recently completed. Golgari superiors push their former Is It brethren to the front the blood from their eye sockets mixing with oil in hope of distracting and disgusting the Izzet guildmaster. As he gets closer in midair, we see Ral Zarek falter. He avoids my gaze, wisely afraid of petrification, but as a result sees the damage we have done to his people. Ra lands on the roof, panting, furious. He keeps his eyes on the ground and walks forward. We step forward to meet him, claws out, nimble and ready to dodge, I briefly see the orange magic from something in my pocket pointing straight toward him, and I rush to attack. But there, in his hand, is a second device I do not recognize. It is small, cylindrical, and in one boxer's punch, he plants it right on my sternum and hits a button. So what happens here is Vraska attacks Raul, but ultimately Raul was trying to lure her closer to be able to plant this artifact device onto her. And this artifact... Its purpose is to literally destroy the glistening oil within a Phyrexian. So,
1: yeah, this was not a friendly, I'm going to save you, Vraska, moment. This isn't this heroic, everything's going to be okay no. between friends. Raul had intentions on killing Vraska from the second he lured her closer.
0: To be fair, she is Phyrexianized. Let's not forget that. And she is blinding everybody. And she is obliterating the city of Ravnica. Just because we're behind her perspective, knowing she is desperately fighting within herself, doesn't mean she is not a massive threat to the likes of Rahl and our other heroes. And Rahl sees her as a former friend. What he knows about Phyrexia is that you can't go back from Phyresis. Once the artifact is activated on her chest, Vraska's Phyrexianized body is destroyed. She vomits all of the black oil, and seeing as her real body is no longer sustaining her, Vraska is dying, essentially, and she hears Raal mutter a word to her while she collapses and dies. Sorry. The
1: dreams fade. The headache blooms. Everything around me collapses. I cannot move my body. I lay beneath the rubble, half flesh, half metal, bleeding and broken. I cannot take a full breath, and each exhale brings a mouthful of blood and oil. I have seen death so many times, but this time I cannot run. If I look up through the open ceiling to the clouds above, I can see the edges of Realmbreaker still, and hear cheers in the city streets around me. Time for me to go too, I suppose. I have completed hundreds. I have raised Ravnica. I am glorious and good. Now, I close my eyes and wait for the death Phyrexia promised I would never face alone.
0: Time ceases meaning. The rain comes and goes. I bleed. I empty. And then suddenly the italic red font of Vraska's Phyrexianized form, which is now dead, switches to the real Vraska as she struggles in these last moments. I wake in the small and distant corner of my mind. Phyresis could never touch. In this vision, Jace is here. Asking Vraska to open her eyes and look at him. She does. They are alone. Just them. Just themselves. No invasion. Just Ravnica as it was before. Peaceful and home. He looks me dead in the eyes, as always, unafraid. It should have been like this. You look great, I say. Can you breathe? He asks. Don't flatter yourself, Bellerin. You don't literally take my breath away, I deadpan. What can you remember? And Vraska, now herself, remembers the horrors she committed as a Phyrexian. How she lured Jace and turned him in the dross pits. How she destroyed Ravnica and killed so many. She tells Jace now, in this vision, that she deserved to die. Jace's eyes soften. He has excused my murders so many times.
1: He should say he agrees. He should say that I deserve my own punishment. That would be merciful. But instead... He says, I would be sad if you did. His forgiveness is agony. Please let this dream be over so I can die alone, as always, as I deserve. May I come in? Now, remember that Jace is a mind mage, an exceptionally powerful one at that. He can read minds and talk to people telepathically and even influence the mind if he wants to. So what he means here when he asks, may I come in, is... Can Braska let him into her mind to let him see what she's seen, feel what she's felt? And obviously she's worried about that. She's totally ashamed of what she's done. She thinks she's a monster. She even calls herself one. But Jace just takes her hand and places it on the back of his, letting her feel the scars up his
0: arms from where Phyrexia had transformed him too. So I'm getting this inkling feeling right now that this isn't just a vision, right? Are you thinking that too? Like, this is, this seems pretty real. This is totally Jace doing this like for real in her mind, right? You know, Natalie, I wouldn't put
1: it past Jace to do something like that. Like, that does seem like totally in his wheelhouse, but we, we don't know. The, the fact is, we don't know if this is a fever dream or if this is real. So, to us, to Vraska, this is a vision of some sort, half memory, half something else. So remembering and realizing that Jace too has been a monster, quote unquote, meaning he's been Phyraxianized, the scars are right here as proof, Raska lets him into her mind. He sees eyes and blood and oil, hears my delight, feels the writhe of my metallic lips against his. And all he does is grip my hand tighter. It kills me. And Jace doesn't judge her, doesn't love her any less. He steals her away further, farther into a private place in her mind on a beautiful serene beach where it's just them and the ocean and nothing else. And I really loved that they, um, this is such a beautiful beach. They described the sand as being like white flower. And I, I just, I don't yeah, know. I love just that image. Like, yeah, I love that image. This it, is a
0: beautiful place. Like it's intangible. We don't really know where this beach is. It's just beautiful. It's exquisite. It's just described so well in the story.
1: I want to go there. I, I do like it. it sounds I want to go <laughs> delightful. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So Back to the story. The you that kissed me wasn't you, Jace says. And he's referring to that moment in the dross pits last season when she tricked him and turned him into a Phyrexian. The you that led the invasion wasn't you. The you I know only hurt people who deserve it. He is so close, so relaxed. And that part that is you knew you'd be safe here. We're
0: in the corner of your mind I made for you all those years ago. And she is very safe here in this beautiful place with Jace. She's dying, let's not forget, she's dying and she takes advantage over the fact that this is her escape, her moment with Jace, before everything ends. They kiss and embrace for a while on that beach, something Vraska calls their do-over, which I think is so unbearably cute. Vulnerability fits strangely in the window of my heart, but it is worth drawing the drapes for him. I rest a hand on his cheek and tell him what I feel, in his way. Silently the words fill my mind, and I fill them with the sun of Ixilon and the perfume of undercity roses, project the feel of our hands holding tight, the thrill in my chest when he smiles, the adoration of the brown freckle in his left eye, a cinder of hope that someday he sees my own face full of wrinkles, that our old and arthritic hands will clasp tight as we walk toward the clouding dark. There's a moment of recognition in his eyes, a softening at the edges. And one of those rare smiles that meets his eyes blooms across his face as he instinctively reads my own thoughts. He kisses my forehead, and I caress him back. Jace meets my eyes, forehead back to mine, and responds aloud in my way. I love you too, Captain. And I gasp as my mind and vision erupt in startling, incandescent white.
1: Okay, so I heard you read that correctly. Jace just called her captain in that scene, and that has some uh, significance, Natalie, is that right? Yep, he totally called her captain just now. Okay, so listeners out there who have not read War of the Spark, here's just a little a little fun fact. I'm going to pop at you because it's relevant to the story. So in the War of the Spark, Jace had taken Braska's memories of them, of their relationship, to protect her during the events of the war. And he created a code name that would unlock her memories when she was ready. And that code name was Captain. So him saying that now, it's not clear. It doesn't say it. But maybe it did something to her mind. I mean, we don't know. It was kind of said as a pet name, too. It could just be like a babe or a hun, whatever. So maybe that's just Jace being sweet, saying that
0: he loved her in the way that Vraska needed to hear it. And that very well could have been Vraska's last thought. I mean, sad as it is, I wonder if that was the moment Vraska died. I don't see what else could have happened. Like, she was dying. There is no way Vraska could have lived through that device Ral detonated on her. The vision was there for Vraska. Made by Jace, maybe for that moment when he knew she would die. To kind of comfort her through it.
1: Which is just such a sad realization. It's so sweet and so sad. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. what else could it have been? And it's sweet that Braska and Jace made that little mind place for them so they could have a reunion of some sort before the end. Oh, I was so sad before last season when Jace and Braska had been betrayed and Froxianized. But now this, it feels really final. It feels like a tragic end to a very beautiful and tumultuous love story.
0: Well, hang on. Well, there is just a bit more to this episode we haven't gone over quite yet at the very very end of this episode we switch for just a few paragraphs over to ralzarek's perspective yes in the first person in the wake of the phyrexian invasion that had just come to a close and this is from the story the rain has soaked through my clothes there's more rubble than city at this point point. and even though i've electrocuted more phyrexian goons than i can count my body still jumps like there's more the invasion ended two days ago, but my body hasn't gotten the memo yet. My hands still tired from casting, my shoulders still tight from panic. Recovery from the invasion ought to mean recovering for me too. So Ralph has been spending the last two days cleaning up the city after the invasion, being a leader, as he so usually is, alongside Tomek. This is from the story. Tomic is here now, at least. We
1: stand overseeing what was the second chamber of the Guild Pact. He sits with his head in his hands, and I keep a palm on his shoulder as we both try not to think about eyes. But all I see is her face, glaring and gleeful. She picked the way to transform them that would hurt everyone else the most. That wasn't her, and yet it absolutely was. My stomach turns, and I try to swallow it down. And he's obviously referring to Braska right here. He feels really bad that he ended her life, but Raul knew he had to. She was destroying Ravnica, committing awful crimes that was not true to who he knew Vraska to be. The last he'd seen of Vraska was two days ago when he detonated the artifact, an item he calls the Heimelectric Switch, to kill her. The city is just rubble, so the invasion had buried a lot of things, including potentially Vraska's body. They've been searching for it to confirm she's really gone.
0: And this is when an officer approaches Rawl. He thinks this officer is going to deliver the news, something like, we found her body or it's done or something that would confirm it all. Instead, this officer just says, There's no sign of her body, sir. And we end the episode like this. That's how it ends. Oh my gosh. Can you believe that? Okay, so Braska is missing question mark. Yeah, question mark. Okay. I have a lot of questions. Me too. I think we
1: all do. Okay, but you said it before, Natalie. I still completely agree with this. I don't see any way that Verasca survived that. The only person who knew how to reverse Viresis was Malira. Malira's gone, unfortunately. We saw her die just last episode. And even then, the cost of saving a Johnny and Nissa was immense. Karn had to give up his spark. Malira had to sacrifice herself. And Nissa didn't even get to keep her spark. Like, it didn't even survive. All of that. I mean, she came back, which was amazing, but not with her spark, not as herself.
0: So, yeah, yeah. And Vraska was, she was dead. Like, Ral is a genius engineer. It is what he is known for. The Heim electric switch was especially designed to destroy Phyrexia, and he detonated it directly into Vraska's Phyrexianized body. And she was totally, absolutely dying from it. Like, no duh. Also, She was buried in debris, too, from the war. So how can her dead body possibly be missing after all of that?
1: I'm sure many of you out there, like us, have questions and maybe even a few theories. We hate to leave you with such a shell shock of a twist, but we are ready to move on from March of the Machine. So we end this by saying goodbye to Vraska, which is so
0: sad. I really love Vraska and I'm really going to miss her. But we don't have to say goodbye to everyone, luckily. We have two more bonus content episodes for season four, which dives into the epilogue called The Aftermath. Stay tuned for those coming out right around the corner.
1: If you, like us, loved this episode, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and more.
0: This episode was especially a joy to read on the page as well. We encourage you to head to mtgstory.com to read this story. It's called Ravnica, One and the Same by Alison Lurs. And there are tons more you can read there too, including War of the Spark, since we'd mentioned it in this episode. We'll see you next time, but
1: until then, have have a a magical magical day. day!